0: Now that true crime has become an obsessively popular genre, it is no surprise that when people find out we are forensic scientists, we are met with an outpouring of questions.
1: Did you work that recent homicide? Yo,
0: what does decomp smell like? You must love your job, huh? It's through questions like these that we have come to realize that you want more. I'm Bodine. And I'm Darby, and we
1: are here to serve up the Coffee Talk version of everything you need to know about the science, laws, and people behind the yellow tape. Welcome to the Washoe County Sheriff's Office. Coffee with a Criminalist.
0: Hello, everyone. Hi. Welcome to another mini episode of Coffee with a Criminalist. How are you, Darbs? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. We had an interesting fun experience happen a couple weeks ago. Yes, we did. We got a really cool
1: opportunity to be guests on someone
0: else's podcast. Yeah. So we were in the hot seat as
1: interviewees instead of the hosts. It made me way more nervous. Very nervous. So now I sympathize with our guests on our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> me so too. I'm sorry that we put you through that.
0: Yeah. Um so, we just thought to kind of make it easier on ourselves, you know, we're always coming up with content for you guys uh, on the show. And we thought, well, hey, Jim Dudley was the host of Policing Matters, and he actually had a lot of questions for us, and it was great content. And so, we are going to share today the interview that we did with Jim for our mini session. And we thought we'd tell you a little bit about Jim and his podcast, Policing Matters. Uh, The podcast was started four years ago with Jim's co-host, Doug Wiley. He was then the editor of Police One. And uh, Doug actually left about a year ago, and so Jim has been running the show solo, And Policing Matters podcast is on policeone.com, and it addresses issues and topics that are centered on public safety and law enforcement. Typically, Jim's shows are about 20 to 30 minutes. It is a weekly podcast, and he features experts and authorities on topics ranging from everything from crime issues to officer wellness, technology, and life after policing.
1: The show host, Jim Dudley, is a retired deputy chief of patrol operations and the investigations bureau of the San Francisco Police Department. And after 32 years of service, he continues to serve as a member of faculty teaching criminal justice studies um, to the next generation of public safety leaders at the San Francisco State University. He maintains associations with the FBI National Academy Associates, IACP, PERF, the American Society of Evidence-Based Policing, and others. He has a master's degree in criminology from UC Irvine, a BA in criminal justice studies from SFSU, and is a NA graduate.
0: And we just really wanted to say thank you to Jim for having us on the show. We had a really good time with him. He was a fun host. Um, and Jim, if you're listening, we hope that uh, we get to see you sometime up here in Reno and maybe give you a little uh, crime lab tour. And now stay tuned to listen to our interview.
2: And it's Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, ever watch the cop show or movie where every gun has unlimited rounds with no reloading necessary? Ever see the criminalist show up in that crime or mystery novel and they can tell you the make, model, and year of the car just by the tread that it left in the in the tires. The, tri- <laughs> the tread that the tires left in the mud. Well, of course, uh, we have some real uh, crimes that are solved, but not through intuition or hunch, but by real painstaking investigation and science. And today we're lucky we have some real life crime scene mythbusters on the show. They have their own podcast out of Reno, Nevada, called Coffee with a Criminalist and it is a really fun one to listen to. And today we have Brittany Chilton, Bodine and Darby Steinmetz and their coworkers in the DNA section of the Washoe County Sheriff's Office. And between the two of them, they have over 15 years of forensic DNA experience and they both graduated from the University of Nevada, Reno. Bodine with her master's in biotechnology and Darby with her bachelor's in biology with a minor in analytical chemistry, combining their passion for forensic science with their love for educating the general public about their jobs. They came up with the idea for the podcast where they could explain forensics in a casual and easy to understand way. This idea was collaborated on with management teams at the Washoe County Sheriff's Office and their podcast Coffee with a Criminalist was brought to life. And I've been listening to the show, and it's a good one. Welcome to Policing Matters, Darby and Bodine.
1: Hi. Hi. Thanks for having yes. us. Yes, thank you so much.
2: Yeah, I, I feel like I know you have listened to your podcast, <laughs> and I think the time has come for, for real uh, experts to give uh, the, their perspective on these issues where, you know, to date we've had, um, you know... Uh, fireside experts and investigative journalists and, and the like, uh, opining on on some things that really require expertise. W- what's your podcast about?
0: So our podcast is honestly, we created it because it kind of came out of COVID. So Darby and I both participate a lot in community outreach. And so we go to schools, we go to the university, um, we've done Girl Scout Troops
1: conferences. Yeah. yeah, we go to a lot of community outreach events.
0: Yeah. And so because of COVID, we couldn't do that. And it was, I was really missing it. And I enjoy podcasts and I was listening one day and I thought, wow, this could be a really cool way that we could get our information about what we do out um, to our listeners and to the general public without even having to be in the same room with anyone, which works for COVID. And I just thought, you know, I I meet people and they wanna know about our jobs, but they don't wanna know like the the technical nitty gritty. They wanna know like what it's like and what it's like to be a forensic scientist.
1: Yeah, and really with um, all this, you know, true crime and all these documentaries Being so popular these days that we really thought this was a good opportunity to have people become more interested in our jobs and get a better understanding to even get an even deeper layer to these crime shows and these Mm -hmm. um, documentaries that they're always watching and always talking about. So we just thought that it was a good way to educate the public. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I know it's awesome. And I I teach at a university, and uh, a lot of students want to be cops, but another good percentage want to do investigations and they want forensics and they want to know what criminalists do. So I think you're a great introduction there. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So, so what are your goals? Do you want to be, uh, do you just want to be sort of generalist to the public or do you want to be MythBusters? Because you've, you've touched on some pretty good uh, details in your podcast.
1: I'll let you take that Darby. <laughs> Our goal is not to be Mythbusters, no, Um, it is really just about peeling back the layers of what we really do and all these misconceptions, because I think the public does have a lot of misconceptions um, because of these, you know, crime shows that they do stuff in an hour and that's not the way we do things, but um, to really just kind of show what it's like in our jobs, because so many people think our jobs are so interesting. Bodine and I often talk about how when people find out that we're forensic scientists and criminalists that people are automatically like, oh, my God, you just became 10 times more interesting to us, <laughs> um, because of what we do. And people are so interested in it. But I think they are interested because a lot of the misconceptions yeah. that they have. And so we kind of really just wanted to show what it's really like. And so to give people who may be interested in these fields a good idea of what it's like and if they really do want to go in pursuing mm-hmm. forensics as a career. And so I think maybe myth busting just comes through
0: being honest. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just our honesty about the job. So we're not trying to be mythbusters, but I think that some, some myths may be debunked. You <laughs> By shedding light on the truth. Yeah.
2: Yeah, for sure. And in one of your recent guests uh, from your FSI unit, your forensic science unit, she talked about 12 hour days and then, you know, going home running, grabbing a bite to eat and then going right back to work the next morning. So yeah, yeah. it's, It's, it's apparent on your show that, you know, you're dealing with, you know, human beings and real life situations and not so glamorous and not so, you know, happy situations. And that's, that's the stark reality of it. Mm -hmm. So what do you find as the most frequent urban legend or misunderstood concept of CSI? What are, what are people asking you about the most or what do they think that's really kind of wrong?
0: Um, I think one of the things, and I actually had this misconception before I got hired. Um, One of the things, especially when you watch like CSI, when somebody is a suspect, they have like a holographic screen and they can pull the person up and they can find out their height, their weight, where they live, what their last five jobs are. It's just kind of at their fingertips. And um, something that I found really interesting was, you know, obviously CODIS, the combined DNA index system is is a real database. Um, And what I found interesting, what people like to learn, I Think is that we actually can't do that. Uh, It is illegal for us to just go in and mine the database. I can't go in and pull somebody out and just use their profile from CODIS in my casework. Um, I think that's one of the bigger misconceptions. And when we give tours, people find that very interesting that I, when we do get a hit in the database, I don't even get someone's name, I get a number. And we have to have a separate database that connects the number to a name. And so I think that is kind of a big one that I found.
1: Yeah, I think another really big one is the time mm-hmm. that it takes. And I think that is with everyone um, is that the time that it takes for us to get results, especially if there's multiple sections involved in a case, and evidence has to go through multiple sections, it takes time. And especially in DNA, you know, our process isn't, you know, you're not going to get answers in five minutes or 10 minutes or even a day, um, most of the time. So I think that's a really big misconception. And then also that we can just Put like okay. evidence through this computer, and then all of a sudden it pops up with this name of our suspect. Mm-hmm. And that's not we we do have CODIS and stuff, but a lot of the times you know we need reference samples, and the police are the ones doing the investigating and coming up with suspects, and then um, we're doing the analysis to compare to say like, hey, yeah, your suspect matches this or no event or um, you know. And sometimes they have no ideas, and sometimes we can't provide a lead for them at all.
2: So, right. Yeah. Well, I would not have guessed that as the answer, because in your last uh, episode, I heard that you do not test a, a, a sub, uh, one particular substance for DNA.
1: Poo, yes. yeah. We don't, <laughs> <test> poo. <laughs> we don't test poo. Um, and that's not to say that other labs don't do it Correct. or that you can't get a profile from it. You can. Um, it's just we at our lab do not do that.
2: That's great. Well, I'm glad you said it, because I didn't want to lead with, yeah, do you test poop for DNA? So <laughs> that's great. That's great. So, and, and another one I was thinking of, you know, you watch shows like CSI or Dexter. Dexter was one of my favorite shows, and I guess they're coming back for another season. I heard and, that. Uh, you know, Dexter had all this stuff in his lab. They He had a mannequin that was full of blood that he would hit with all these different weapons to to check out the blood spatter analysis. Is any of that true? Do you guys have a mannequin full of blood somewhere?
0: we actually don't do blood spatter analysis at our laboratory. Um, So that might be true at another laboratory. But we do have mannequins that we use. um, And we use them when we're like recreating a crime scene for a trajectory. And we use them when we create, sometimes we do open houses and we'll have a crime scene set up. And so we have some mannequins
1: for that. Yeah, we do have mannequins. Yes. Blood.
2: Blood. Um, So I remember in our police academy when they told us that you know the decomposing body was tough to encounter in a closed space, and they suggested keeping a cigar in your go bag in the in the event that you did go to one of these you know somebody laying there for a while. And I'm not sure, but maybe because I was new and cheap, but I bought a low quality cigar and. After a few minutes, I wasn't sure what made me more nauseous the the decomp or the cigar. And in Silence of the Lamb and other uh, films, uh, they're smearing mentholatum under their nose. Is there a way that uh, you deal with those kind of situations?
0: Well, I have to tell you, when you told me that you would bring a cigar to a crime scene, that made my DNA heart just <laughs> skip a beat, I'm just like, oh no. <laughs> So we do not do that anymore. Um, But I actually do use a salve. That's not entirely untrue. So there is a company called, oh gosh, I buy it from Rayleighs. It's a grocery store here in town. It's called Zub Rub. Um, It has like some patchouli and some very strong um, scents in it. Mm. And for years, I kept that in my drawer at work. And if I had a particularly smelly crime scene, I would put that inside my mask, actually. And not on my skin, but in the mask so that I could, I could smell that instead of the decomposition.
1: Yeah, I have, I keep essential oils in my bags to put in my mask and stuff like that. I have to say, I've never heard the cigar thing, though. I've never heard that as a way.
2: Well, that, I guess I just showed my age because number one, yes, the cigar thing was an old thing. And also, I don't think we were doing DNA. Back in-
0: yes.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sorry about that. Have you thought of debunking some of the misconceptions on a show? So early on, one of the earlier podcasts that I listened to was Serial. And they, they talked about a specific case, uh, the Adnan Syed case, where they went through a series, I don't know, it was about 10 or 12 episodes. And then they, the investigative journalists and some others debunked um, using uh, cell towers and uh, the timeline for uh, the declaration of death and things like that. Have you ever thought of taking a case, um, for instance, or or a situation where you knew the evidence was not portrayed as it should be?
0: Actually, no. no. (laughs) Mostly because the time I think it would take to do that uh so we we are allowed to dedicate about eight to ten hours a week on the project and usually it's about probably four is what we really get out of out of the time so because we're focused on casework but we did have an idea to do a case from start to finish um where it comes in from like a 911 call all the way through prosecution Mm.
1: the thing about about us it's kind of weird Situation is that we are full-time criminalist still, so that's our job is to be working cases that we can't talk about to the public, um, and so that are currently undergoing investigation. So those are, you know, that's our priority and that's our our nine-to-five jobs. Yeah. And so this has kind of been a good outreach project for us. So I don't think it's ever really crossed our mind to go through and try to debunk someone else's case. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I think about in particular, like the, the Bonet Ramsey case mm-hmm. um, in the Denver area. And there were so many mistakes made that, um, you know, you can go back and see that there were things that were contaminated. There was a flashlight, I think, that was taken. Uh, there was a picture of uh, the crime scene and there was a flashlight that someone assumed that one of the police officers left on the scene. And then later, I think they figured out that it wasn't And there was something about um, cobwebs over a window. They saw cobwebs and said, oh, the suspect couldn't have entered here. But then somebody else, I guess, I guess you guys pulled out a a spider, put it in a jar to see how long it would take to make a web and figured out that it could have happened after the crime. So,
1: Hmm. I did not know that. I didn't know that either.
2: Wow, okay. All right, I'm going to start my show. Coffee coffee with a guy who knows criminalists. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, okay. We're out of the debunking, uh, business. Uh, what are you dealing with most up there in Nevada? Um, uh, you guys get some snow from time to time gets cold. you you're high desert. What are, what are your crime, uh, series like up there?
0: I'm not really sure. Like the crime series. We right now, some issues that we're dealing with is vehicle burglaries. Uh, that's a big one that seems to be quite popular. And it was popular over COVID. I know our sheriff's office did like a press release about that. Um, And then the other topic that Well, there's two other topics, Um, one being sexual assault is really big right now. Um, Mm. We have to get kits tested in 120 days as soon as they are delivered to the crime lab. Um, And the other one is some gun laws that really affects our firearm section and getting fired cartridge casings put into NIBIN in an appropriate time manner.
2: Mm. That's great. Yeah. Well, the the car break-ins is not surprising. I think in San Francisco... A year ago, they had forty-one thousand in a year.
0: Holy cow! I'm, yeah.
2: sure I'm sure you're not dealing with that.
0: No, that's yeah. a lot more. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's a national issue on um, sexual assault uh, samples and getting the you know the backlog done. So how are you doing that? Do you do it in house or do you, do you do outside labs?
1: Yes, we. It's kind of been a combination effort um, here at our lab, is that we have outsourced a lot of our backlog, but also that in combination with hiring um, several new analysts, new equipment, creating better efficiencies in house has allowed us to um, essentially get rid of that backlog. So it was the combination of outsourcing and in house things that allowed us <clears throat> to get rid of our backlog. And we actually this week's podcast is about this topic. So if you're interested, you can
0: listen and see how we're doing in northern Nevada at
2: least. Yes. Okay, for sure. I will. So uh, what kinds of technology are helping you most now? I remember luminol being a breakthrough. And you know, I wrote I wrote this question down a few weeks ago and then I heard the podcast saying, Oh, yeah, we used to do luminol. So I guess it's not a breakthrough anymore. What what are the current technology breakthroughs um, are you using things like total station to or, or um, I guess they're calling it by other digital graphic 3D imaging of crime scenes and things like that are you using any of that
1: we are um well we're not specifically our FIS section is and that was one of the biggest things when we went through our helper training because we're helpers um that go out and assist the FIS section now but um that Bodine and I were both just our minds were blown with that because they do do that 3D imaging of crime scenes and essentially can recreate an entire crime scene um and take measurements from it they can view from certain vantage points so if a witness has said that they were you know standing in a certain area they can look from that exact area um, they can get a bird's eye view it's really really amazing technology and we were both just kind of flabbergasted about it and our FIS section was so just like nonchalant they were <laughs> like yep we've been using this and we we're like what mm-hmm. this is like this is so futuristic um, I relate it back to like open or reality. Now when you do the like home tours, the 3D home tours, that's pretty much what it looks like.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, I think the other thing, especially for DNA is robotics. Mm-hmm. robotics plays a massive role in especially efficiencies in the laboratory um, and it takes out the human air component so that's really helpful um, robotics is a big one and uh, we do actually still do luminol it's just in our laboratory the yeah <laughs> luminol people love luminol um, we just don't do it so much in our section anymore it's been kind of taken over by our FIS team and so when I first started working at the crime lab that was something that I did, I did um, yeah <laughs> it's just that uh, it's done by a different section now not so much by us mm-hmm. but yeah I would say for DNA definitely robotics and I think in other sections of the laboratory like new imaging just in general like how good microscopes have gotten mm-hmm. uh right. photography and capturing images yeah and, and like
2: software systems too mm-hmm. have become a big part Yeah, when you talk about robotics, are you talking about just the testing of chemicals or are you thinking about things like drones or robots to go into maybe?
0: No, actually anything that an analyst can do manually, they have robots now that do it. So it's liquid Hmm. handling systems. So instead of us manually, you know, we joked on one of our episodes that we are expert movers of small volumes of liquid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The robot does that now. And so it will normalize our samples. It can quant our samples, amp our samples. Um, The human interaction part is the loading and removing of samples and telling, you know, the robot like what to do, but otherwise it can do it all for us. And it's very efficient, very fast.
1: They can do way more samples than we ever could mm-hmm. at one time. Um, so and that's something that we're kind of dealing with in our lab is just there's so many more people moving in, so we have a lot more cases. Um, so we are seeing a really big increase in the amount of cases that we see on a yearly basis. So we're having to turn to robotics and all these other efficiencies to keep up with
2: casework. Yeah. Yeah that's great. And no backlash, nobody's uh, challenging that in court.
1: No because no. it's so widely used in our field throughout the country mm-hmm. um think probably the only thing,
0: I wouldn't call it backlash, is we're moving towards probabilistic genotyping in DNA. Mm. Um, it's where a software actually does the mixture deconvolution. And I wouldn't call it backlash, but anytime you introduce a new technology or a new method into the courtroom, you have to do um, more background on it. So mm. it's just going to be not so much a hurdle, but it'll be more of us having to
1: educate more yeah. than what we're used to. And explain yeah. very complex things to people who don't have a science background or may not have a science background. Um, So that can be challenging. Yeah.
2: Yeah. To lay down the foundation. Mm Yeah. Jurors and judges could understand. Hey, it happened in the OJ trial with DNA. I don't know if you've gone over any of the, the old OJ Simpson trial, but um, that was really sort of the first shot fired in the, in DNA, being introduced to the public and the to the juries.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely it was one of the very first cases we always have to learn about. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> oh, really? Is it? Is that in Criminalist 101, OJ?
0: It's in a lot of the textbooks. Mm-hmm. It comes up often. Um, I think that trial was just so big for DNA, especially. Yeah. And just in
1: the general public. So it definitely comes up in, in books and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I did take a, a forensic science pretty much 101 course in college um and that was definitely the a case that we spent quite a bit of time going through
2: yeah i mean i remember in in the court arguments they were talking about uh you know the the dna changing because it was left out in in a car in the sun and i think it was one of the prosecution uh witnesses um He's a local guy. He he talked about you know you could leave DNA in a test tube and put it out in the street and let it bake and run it over with a car and it's not going to change into OJ Simpson's blood.
0: Correct. It might <laughs> might damage it. We might yes. not get very good results from it. But might get a partial profile, yes. but still, it's hit. not going to change somebody else's to DNA. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Okay. So, so give us a, give us a hint. What's coming up? What, what are your future episodes that we could be stay tuning for?
0: Ooh, so we have some good ones. We're going to cover the Brianna Dennison case. That was a really big case for our community. Oh, a few years ago, I was still in college Like Mm -hmm. ten years or so ago. Yep. So that one's coming up. We have kind of a fun episode. I think it's fun um, about DUI. I did not know what goes into DUI, like um, field sobriety testing and and all of that. So we break down what happens if you are pulled over uh, and suspected for being under the influence, and you know what is going on on the side of the road. What happens back at the jail? Um, That's kind of an interesting episode.
2: That's great. Can't wait. Well, the DUI—I'll be especially interested. Um, I've written about uh, field testing for um, uh, THC and and marijuana at um, scenes where essentially the courts have said that it's it's a apparently the the officers' objective observations and the FST the field sobriety test results that would pretty much lay the foundation because there's really nothing yet that's reliable. Like um, in, in alcohol, we have the preliminary um, screening devices that give you a, a pretty good ballpark estimate of blood alcohol content, but then you follow up with uh, blood, breath, or urine. Yes. What's happening? And that's actually
0: what our episode is going to focus on is the alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of where we went with that one. It was more of the alcohol DUI versus the other substances.
1: Okay. And that was interesting too, because our breath testing was actually stopped completely for the state during COVID. Um, so we had this massive shift from doing these breath testing to everything now, going through our toxicology section for Mm. blood alcohol. Um, So yeah, that was a really big hurdle we had to. Yeah, with Mm COVID-19.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder how many agencies did that. That I I don't
1: know. And Mm. I don't know that all agencies completely other, I don't even know that other agencies stopped their um, breath Breath testing completely. I'm not sure. Um, I just know that the state of Nevada. Nevada did.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that.
1: Something that we've
0: talked about too is potentially doing an episode on mental health and um, not, not only just as a forensic scientist in the crime lab, but also law enforcement. Hmm. Um, that's actually a topic that I am really passionate about. I got into teaching yoga as a form to try and bring mental health awareness to law enforcement. Um, I would say it went really well in the crime lab, not super well with law enforcement. <laughs> Um, But yeah, that's a topic that we're quite interested in seeing how we can maybe visit that on the podcast at some point.
2: Yeah, well, it's really hard to do the downward dog with a gun belt.
0: Yes, exactly.
2: (laughs) Take that into consideration. (laughs) Hey, thanks so much. It was great talking with you. And um, I look forward to hearing uh, your episodes. You're on my podcast program list. So I'll be listening to you and hope to catch up with you soon up there in Reno. Thanks for being on Policing Matters, uh, Bodine and Darby.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Coffee with a Criminalist. Don't forget about this season's giveaway. We will be giving away a Crime Lab Tour for two. You enter by visiting the coffee shops that we feature this season on the podcast. Visit the coffee shop, grab a drink, and then post a picture of either what you're drinking or your visit to the coffee shop. Tag the coffee shop and use the hashtag coffee with a criminalist. As always, stay tuned for a short trailer of what you can expect next week on the podcast. Bye, guys. Pints, cocktails, and shots. Oh, my. Drinking, especially in Nevada, is a popular pastime. But did you know it has a massive forensic impact in the form of DUI testing? In this episode, we examine the aftermath of the drunken excursions of those behind the wheel. We invite you to a behind the scenes look at how DUI cases are initiated, how forensic science plays a huge role in the process. And in addition, we fill you in on how Nevada's DUI testing system has been impacted by COVID-19.